You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This episode is, of course, brought to you by the wonderful folks over at Sinusoid. Sinusoid, they've been a longtime sponsor of this podcast. You guys know them, and if you don't, you should get to know them, and you should especially get to know their slate cable. I actually have a couple of these. I use them pretty much every day. They have... Just the right amount of capacitance. They tested these rigorously. You can't get them anywhere else, unlike certain other things that you can buy from many, many sources. Uh, you can't get the slate cable from anybody else. Everything from the way it slides around on stage, to the way it sounds, to the way it rejects noise, everything was uh, carefully thought out by these guys. So check out the slate cable. It's one of the finest instrument cables on the market. And it's also made by some of the most fantastic people in the industry. So definitely check out Sinusoid, sinusoid.com, and check out the Slate Cable, and there are many, many other very fine offerings. So due to some weird technical, weird stuff I won't get into, I had to go into the deep recesses of the internet to retrieve this episode with Mr. Ed Chu. So some of the information relayed in it, unfortunately, is sort of old news at this point. Uh, unfortunately, it's releasing after the Kyber pre-order was over. Um, many, many apologies for that. Um, um, I This one was kind of a, I wish I could say it was my fault, but it's actually sort of beyond beyond anyone's control at this point. So this episode with Ed Chu is nonetheless very fun. Um, Ed Chu of Rod Iron Effects is a, a great guy, and he really takes a lot of pride in what he does, and it and it shows. If you guys aren't following Rod Iron, do check it out. But I did want to preface it with the unfortunately the Kyber pre-order is is over. So many apologies for that. But if you want to stay abreast to all things Tone Mob related, um, you know, follow along in the Facebook group. Uh, sign up for the email list, Instagram, all the good channels. That stuff is uh, being updated constantly, and the group is uh, especially entertaining. So, um, yeah, with that said, on with the show with Mr. Ed Chu of Rod Iron Effects. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have none other than General Edward J. Chu of Rod Iron Effects. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How you doing, Blake? Pretty good. Um, this is long overdue, in my estimation. I think we've been talking yeah. about doing this for quite a while. Yeah, it's nice to... Uh... Nice to finally 
get to talk to you. I listen to the podcast, obviously, on uh, I was going to say on a weekly basis, but it's I guess it's not a, a weekly a weekly thing anymore. Or was it ever? I don't know. Um, yeah, it definitely I, was. It definitely was in the beginning, and is starting to get back to that. Um, yeah, I know you had talked about releasing some more content, and the last couple episodes have come out pretty close together. And, yeah, uh, I really never enjoyed have, those. Uh, oh well, thank you. Um, yeah, I never it, have came out on like the same day every time, which I know is annoying for a lot of people. Um, yeah, but it was just like just trying to get it out weekly was challenging enough. Uh, while doing everything, and then uh, I'm just not as good as as some of these other guys are. But hopefully, uh, hopefully here in a few weeks we'll be pretty consistent uh, weekly, if not more. So we'll see how what oh, the wow. future holds. Yeah, yeah, that'd be um, great. Still, still trying to figure it out, but we'll we'll get there. But yeah. enough about me. This is not this is not a show that is about or nor should it be about me. Uh, this is <laughs> this is about the guests. So. Um, I know a lot of you guys in, especially in the Facebook community and all that stuff, uh, probably are familiar with Ed. He's fairly active in and amongst the groups and, uh, probably have seen his pedals cause they're pretty striking visually. So, um, but maybe we, we give uh, your kind of musical backstory and all that jazz, uh, since you're a listener, I guess you know how this rolls. So, uh, why don't we start there yeah. and, and we can fill in any gaps as needed. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I had kind of a strange, um, relationship with music, um, uh, as a kid, um, growing up in the eighties, I'm a little bit older than probably most of, uh, most of the people I interact with online. Um, I'm, let's see how old am I? I'm like 41. Um, and so I was growing up in the eighties and, uh, you know, depending on your opinion of music in the eighties, um, I thought it was pretty bad at the time. Uh, no, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of, uh, I kind of growing up, I, I really just kind of cut off music out of my life. Um, uh, mostly, um, I didn't really have any personal interest in music. Um, probably till man, probably till the end of high school, um, uh, maybe even into college. I don't think, I don't think I owned any cassettes for, uh, for you, for y'all who are listening that don't know what those are. Um, that's what we used to listen to music on before CDs. Probably some of your listeners don't even know what CDs are anymore. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh man, that's weird to think about. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't, I didn't own any of my own music in high school. You know, I just, I really didn't pay any attention to music. I just thought it was um, just kind of a waste of time. You know, I was into sports and uh, things like that. Um, sports? And then when I got One into college. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny because I was uh, I was a hardcore sports addict when I was in high school, even into college. I wasted a lot of time in college in the gym shooting baskets. You know, I grew up in Indiana, so basketball is kind of like uh, – next to godliness in Indiana, you know, <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's kind of a weird environment to grow up in as far as, uh, as a high school athlete, because so much emphasis is placed on high school sports. It's, it's, uh, it's very different than anywhere else I've lived. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I wasn't really into music until I got into college 
And um, I didn't touch a guitar until I was about 21 years old. And, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I had, so, um, you know, I, I wasted all those years when I could have been, you know, when my brain was developing and I could have actually learned to play an instrument proficiently. <laughs> I never touched one. So, um, yeah, I've just kind of uh, floundered along as an adult trying to learn to play the guitar. And, um, yeah, I still haven't gotten there. <laughs> so, I decided to start building, it's, it's fine. building gear. It's fine. Don't. <laughs> Right. But you started so, out you started out not in the effects realm. You started out doing leather work, correct? Right. Yeah, that, that was kind of my first man? No, that's correct. That's that's kind of my first foray into uh into the gear world. Um and at the time I was pretty much just an acoustic player. Um I got my first electric guitar probably when I was 22 years old and uh, I had it for about 2 months and uh then uh, I had uh, signed up for the Peace Corps after college, and I was just kind of hanging out after college, waiting for an assignment for the for the Peace Corps. And uh, I got my assignment. It's like you're going to Nicaragua. You're going to live in a village with no electricity and people that make you know an average of three hundred dollars a year. <laughs> so it's like, wow, okay, probably won't be taking the electric guitar and amplifier to <laughs> Central American village with no running water and electricity. Um, right. So, yeah. So, and, uh, you know, I was there for a couple of years, came back and just kind of stuck with the acoustic guitar for a number of years. And, um, yeah, that's when I started making uh, leather guitar straps. And that was just, um, really because where I lived at the time, there weren't like a lot of music stores around. And, um, you know, so there might be one, one shop you could go to without driving for an hour and a half. And, um, you know, I, I'm, you got the typical Ernie Ball, you know, nylon web guitar strap. And I just, I was just so frustrated with that. And, uh, I, I bought a leather strap, but it had like that permalock design where you have to take the strap completely apart to adjust the size of it. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, a lot of them use that and it's, it's secure. It's really good for that. It's never going to come apart. But it's also like, if you don't know exactly what size you want it to be, it's kind of frustrating to deal with. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I just kind of tried to started tinkering around one day and I've always kind of been into, uh, into just, um, I guess just tinkering is what I call it. Just, uh, inventing stuff, you know, kind of trying to solve problems, um, with what I have on hand. And so, yeah, I started, I, uh, I made my first strap with, kind of a couple of big brass rings on it. They were probably like two inch diameter brass rings. Um, I think they were actually off of a horse harness because at the time I was working with draft horses and uh, yeah, I had some of these extra rings. And so I made kind of a double ring kind of design where you could adjust the size of the strap without, uh, you know, without taking it apart. Just, you know, quickly give it a quick tug and, and uh, shorten it up or, let some slack through it to lengthen it out. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, uh, then I, uh, I built one for somebody else that, uh, I think my sister put me in contact with and, uh, I was like, Hey, maybe I could actually sell these. So I made one for him and shipped it out there and, um, never got paid for it. <laughs> and, oh, convenient. Uh, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my introduction to, uh, 
retail sales and uh, you know the gear world. <laughs> Not getting paid, uh, but yeah, is a thing that that happens more than it should in this in this particular niche. Uh, it's a kind of a weird deal, but um, yeah, you know, um, I've been in I've been in a few different fields, and that that that's just a thing everywhere. You know, there's just people who don't pay for stuff. So. <laughs> Actually, in this in this industry, it's been much better than in anything else I've probably ever worked in, as far as that goes. Uh, well, that's good. Not the not getting paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a couple so you, a couple run ins with crooks, but <laughs> other than that, well, part sorry, of that might help the. Oh well, I was going to say part of that might help that it's kind of so, you know, knitted together. You know, there's a if somebody becomes a distinctly problem customer uh or quote-unquote customer uh across right. the board it, it like yeah it's not like we don't communicate like it's no. it's like hey if you ever deal with the joe schmo uh don't um here's why yeah. <laughs> type of deal for sure so, you know world um, work travels fast amongst builders too for people like that you know that that gets out pretty quick and uh yeah so if you if you rip somebody off, don't expect to be buying from anybody else <laughs> in the near future, you know, because it uh word does travel fast. Not that mm -hmm. any of your listeners would ever consider anything like that. No, they're the best of the best. And if they're if they if they are that way, they're banned from listening to the podcast. I'm gonna find I'm gonna go through the internet and somehow shut it off. I don't know how, but I'm gonna figure sure. it out. <laughs> sure. Uh, anyway. Uh, but like uh, I always thought it was interesting. I mean, so I got introduced to your work and your stuff, obviously because of your interactions in the various podcast uh, kind of communities. On there is is where right. I, I first seen your work. Um, what I uh, what I found interesting was, I'm now I know it's never it's never this cut and dry. But I was like, oh, he's making some pretty cool straps. That's interesting. And then like all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, Ed's doing a a Kickstarter for a pedal? Pet I didn't even know right. this guy knew anything about electronics and you know, as the owner of an Orchrist, uh, you know, gotta say I'm a big fan. Uh not just aesthetically and thematically, but uh the, I think that overdrive sounds fantastic. So it's like kinda came out of out of nowhere in my in in my viewpoint with the electronics side of things which i'm sure as everything that's not exactly the case so how did how did you kind of switch over there yeah well uh first of all let me just say thanks i appreciate that uh you know with that orcas um circuit especially that's one where i feel like um you know it gets written off sometimes by people as oh it's just a gimmick you know it's just it's just all about looks and um yeah so ha having people uh kind of testify that have one about the sound of it is always uh it was always encouraging to me because I spent a lot of time designing that circuit. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's good to hear that people like the way it sounds, not just the way it looks. Um, it, it's but, it's yeah, legitimately so, one of my favorite drives. Just, I mean, oh, wow. and, and I purchased it with my own money. So <laughs> everyone, <laughs> right, everyone's yeah. like, oh, Ed just gave that to you. So you'd get him on the podcast. It's like, right. no, no, I, I thought I needed to have one uh, after playing Jess's actually. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Good, good buddy Justin Porter bought one first, and I played that thing. I was like, whoa, I'm buying one of those. So, um, sweet. Well, that's cool. I, I know it's your favorite pedal to build. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, yeah, right. 
yeah that's but uh, anyway i'll let you finish i'm sorry yeah that's um yeah that's kind of part of the story of uh of kind of my um my journey into electronics i guess um what what really got me started um wanting to build pedals is kind of when i picked up the electric guitar again um i'm just mainly playing at church and uh have a a, a pretty small church maybe between 150 and 200 people and um just really got involved in the music program there. And I was kind of wanting to, um, I guess just expand, uh, our sound a little bit. And, uh, man, I'd really like to get back into playing electric guitar. And so, you know, I, I got a, an electric guitar off Craigslist. And, uh, at the time I was really into this band called Dawes, who I think you're pretty, mm-hmm. pretty big fan of as well. And yeah, I like uh, them. I'm, I like kind them. Of, I'm kind of obsessed with them. Like, <laughs> Probably, I uh, I listened to Dawes albums probably ten times more than any other album. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So um, I was kind of checking out their gear, you know, online. I was just like, man, how does he get that sound? Their their uh, their guitar player Taylor Goldsmith. Um, he plays a Telecaster, and at the time he was playing into kind of an AC30 style amp, and it just sounded so good. And um, so I was checking out his his pedal board. And he had this, uh, he had this DIY pedal on there that the bassist for the band actually made. Um, and it's just like, oh, it's just so uh, rugged looking and it's, it's built out of, I don't even know what the box is, but it's got just like an old ammeter, like just jammed under the top of it. And, uh, (laughs) I don't know, for some reason I just fell in love with that pedal and I was like, all right, I'm going to start building some pedals. And, uh, so I just, uh, you know, I, I kind of just dove into the DIY world and uh, started learning how to build stuff on perf board and um, started looking for crazy enclosures to put stuff in. And, and so, yeah, for, for a few years before I did the Kickstarter to launch the Orchrist and the Aslan and Lucephalus um, pedals that were uh, kind of my original circuits, um, you know, I built a lot of stuff from the DIY world. Um, mini boosters from Jack Ormond's AMZ website and, uh, just, uh, Baz fuzz circuits. Um, and I just put them in, um, you know, repurposed enclosures, stick a, a meter mm-hmm. in there if I could fit one in there. And so I did that for a few years and uh, just real, you know, just real part-time doing it in the evenings. And when I mean, when I say evening, I mean like from, 1130 to 3am. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> oh, the average evening. Okay. So, right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm kind of a night owl and that, that was, uh, yeah, I just had a little, little room in the corner of the house and you know, I just had a little fan in there to blow the smoke out the window and <laughs> summer evenings I'd sit up there, um, soldering stuff and just kind of learning, you know, how, how, how things worked. And, uh, yeah, that, that kind of got me started. And then, uh, I, uh, I, at the time I was, uh, a farrier shoeing horses during the day. And then a few years ago, um, you know, I was kind of looking at, uh, expanding into the, this gear world a little more as I got older because, uh, horseshoeing is kind of a rough trade on the body. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was planning on, you know, in a few years kind of starting to transition out of it. But, uh, I had an injury that, um, kind of triggered, I had just a fall that kind of triggered a, a repetitive strain injury that I had been building all over these years that I didn't 
realize. And just pretty much in the over the course of about six months ended my career as a farrier. I just couldn't do it the the uh the motions anymore. And so uh mm-hmm. that kinda pushed that Kickstarter out there. I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess this is more than uh this is uh more than I thought it was gonna be. I'm gonna dive right my, into this. Yeah, my so my someday has become right now. Yeah. Type yeah. of deal. Yeah. So that was a big learning curve for me because I didn't have, um, I mean, I had my circuits designed, you know, and I had what I thought was I had my supply chain set up, but, uh, there's a big learning curve there. Um, you know, when you need something, I need something this week and somebody tells you, yeah, it'll be two or three days before I can get that to you. And that turns into seven or eight days or 10 days, you know, and you're, it's like, uh, you get two or three of those strung together and all of a sudden you're a couple weeks behind, you know, and wow. Uh, you know, I always, uh, had always heard that, uh, that saying, how does it go? Um, a failure to plan on you, on your part does not constitute, does not constitute an emergency on my part. <laughs> right. and, uh, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I'm on the, I'm on the front end of this now, <laughs> you know, as, uh, not planning things out far enough uh, in advance. And I'm, I'm wanting everybody to, uh, you know, fulfill my orders on an emergency basis. And they don't, you know, they don't feel that pressure. <laughs> they, they'll no, get to it when no, they get they, to they it. Know that you, they know that you need the thing and, and uh, you're going to order it from them most of the time regardless. So that's like, yeah, we'll get it to you when it's ready, buddy. Like, uh, right. Yeah. Should have yeah. thought this through, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So that's been a, you know, that that uh I got really backed up on the Kickstarter orders. Um also had a surprise move right when the right in the middle of that Kickstarter. Um, which, you know, moving your home and shop at the same time while you're supposed to be delivering, you know, a hundred pedals or whatever. Um that was a pretty big <laughs> that was a pretty big challenge too. So yeah, we got oh, behind man. on the Kickstarter. But, you know, we eventually got everything out to everybody and uh yeah, it's it's the the feedback from those has been really good. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that kind of launched us into the into the gear world as a, a lot more of a um, you know full time deal. Mm-hmm. And so, like the the circuits you kind of started with, um, you know, y'all. I mean, let's talk about the Orchrist, I guess, because that's the one I got experience with. Um, it does seem to work in a you know a kind of a unique way. Uh, you know, it's not, a, it's definitely not another three knobber. Um, what was, right. you know, what was the thought process behind the way that things laid out? And, and I mean, obviously everything was very intentional because the controls are very interactive. So like what, what was kind of the process there? Um, when you yeah. spent the time deliver, you know, designing that thing. Right. Yeah. So, um, I had a couple, a couple ideas, um, uh, the first thing was I like working with transistors because I like just stringing transistor stages together because it gives you a little more control over, you know, in between stages. I can, you know, I can reduce the gain or I can increase the gain if I want to in between stages. If I've got, well, like, uh, the orchestra has, uh, it has five amplifying stages, you know, it's a buffer okay. and then five amplifying stages. And so, um, what that let me do is, you know, just really tweak in between those transistor stages to get the sound I was after rather than just, you know, it's like you get like with an op amp, you got your gain knob and it's like, you can 
you can tweak that, but there's not a whole lot else you can do. Um, you know, there are other things, but, um, yeah, I not just, a, I just started flexible. building. Yeah. And so my goal with the orchestra originally was I'm pretty much just a chords drummer. You know, I, uh, like I said, I didn't touch a guitar till I was 21. I didn't, uh, I didn't get back into playing electric guitar at all until, oh, I don't know, not that long ago anyway. And, um, so I was like, I need something that's going to sound like a, it's going to, it's going to be a good overdrive sound, even if I'm just strumming o open chords. Um, you know, and some of the stuff I tried was, you know, you, you, uh, you turn up the gain to get the amount of, amount of crunch you want and it gets really bright and which is mm -hmm. awesome when you're playing a lead but if you're just like if you're strumming a, a g chord and and uh you know that that uh that treble can be kind of overpowering and, and uh, kind of fizzy sounding and then i don't know with some some pedals it seems like you roll the tone back on the pedal and it it gets kind of a it gets kind of a dull sound and so yeah i was just searching to to make something where that really fit my needs more than anything. And that was just, you know, a, a nice kind of smooth, uh, smooth sounding overdrive that would sound good for a rhythm guitar that wouldn't be overly bright if you just cranked the gain. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I ended up with. Like I said, it's got like five, five individual amplifying stages in there. And there's, um, you know, there's a, there's a gain knob. Um, and then there's also a bite knob. So you've got, which the bite kind of controls the gain to uh, one of the amplifying stages. Mm -hmm. And it's a mixture of bipolar transistors and JFETs in there and uh, a couple different clipping stages. And yeah, I just kept tweaking things until it sounded like what I wanted it to sound like. Um, yeah, and not having, you know, not having a lot of experience with electronics, um, you know, before that, it, uh, it just... Um, I, I really had to design it by ear because, you know, I had the basic understanding of how to build, you know, an amplifying stage with a bipolar transistor or a JFET. But um, as far as the calculations and the math that went into it, you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to try stuff until <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> I want it to. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time with the breadboard on that, uh, on that orchest, um, just trying different combinations of things. And, uh, and building it, add another gain stage, add another gain stage, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really fun. Um, it was a really fun thing to do though. Uh, as far as that went, especially when I finally got it to where I, how I wanted it to sound. Do you have so any sort of, um, Oh, um, sorry. Uh, do you, do you have any sort of like design, I don't know what the word would be, maybe philosophies that you kind of go by. Cause I know we've talked about some other things you were building and you, you've kind of said the same thing. You're like, I kind of just make stuff that I would for me. And then hopefully people like right. it. Is that, is that it? Or is, is there some other kind of processes that go into it? You know, that is a lot of it. And that's kind of based on some advice I got actually on one of the, uh, I think it was on one of the podcast forums. Um, and, uh, I was asking a question about, uh, I was, I was working on a circuit and I can't even remember which one it was at the time, but, uh, you know, I kind of posted a question, would you rather have something like this or something like that? And, you know, you get a bunch of responses and, um, you know, people voting one way or the other. And then, um, another guy chimed in another builder 
And if if memory serves, that was uh, Aaron Coleman from Heavy Lid Electronics. Okay. Um, and he's you know he's he's still in the podcast groups a lot. He's not as active as he used to be. I think he's uh, kind of taking a break for a while from building. I think I could be wrong about that. You should check out Heavy Lid Electronics and see what he's got going on over there. But he, what he said what he said was uh, he said people don't know what they want until they hear it. So you can ask you can ask people you know would you rather have this or would you rather have this but he's like you've got to you've got to build it so that it sounds good to you and then you know if it if other people like it then you'll have a good product and right. if they don't then maybe you should be doing something else because you're not very good at, at judging what sounds good. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting I, I kind of really yeah and I've kind of really taken that to heart because I mean, it's true. I think to to a large extent, it's um, you know you can ask people what they want and get ideas, because obviously you want to uh, you know you want to serve your your market, but uh, at some point it really comes down to uh, you know how good are your ears at determining what's what's going to sound good and usable to people, and uh, if they're not that good, then maybe you're <laughs> you're in the wrong business, you know. Well, that's a that's a really interesting thing because I don't know. If this was before the podcast started properly, I don't think it was. I think the podcast had had started, um, but really early on, I was kind of like just trying to figure out what people were interested in, what you know, what they liked content wise, what they liked product wise, and everything. And when it was a kind of a right. smaller scale thing, I I had like set up a bunch of phone calls with with uh-huh. li- yeah, it was. I think the podcast had started by then with with like listeners or or guys that. Um, we're in the community and so on and so forth. And so I did like maybe like 20 or I think 20 or so phone calls, um, just kind of scheduled throughout the, a few weeks. And I had the kind of the same set of questions and I would take notes on the answers. And what the takeaway I got from it was there was no consistency. Like I literally right. had two different people who, you know, they're in the same community. They're, you know, kind of listening to the same show probably similar guys in some regards which they were but their tastes were wildly different it was like i i i had i basically the consensus i got was there was no consensus um which uh listeners i i I can't remember everyone that was on those early phone calls but i do know uh, a few of you uh and that was actually really awesome of you all to do that but uh it was a an eye-opening experience for me to kind of like like learn how you know when you actually talk to someone versus have like take an online poll um right it is really eye opening and it was just like okay um everyone has their own opinions uh which i knew i guess but it was it was just amazing to see how different it was um yeah and and you know i think sorry go ahead no the, i i mean that's that's that in a long winded way is basically what you said it's like sometimes you just got to try it and fingers crossed hope hope people like it or will respond to it yeah you know then that's kind of where it comes down to um you know unless you're just i mean if you want to clone a tube screamer and make a couple of tweaks to it or a big muff and make you know a couple minor tweaks and you know that that's going to that's going to appeal to a large audience, right? I mean, they're two of the most successful circuits, um, you know, in the history of stomp boxes. And, uh, some guys are really good at doing that. Um, but for me, I don't know, I've got like that kind of tinkerer, uh, itch where 
I just, I want to, you know, I, I just want to kind of start from scratch and, uh, see what I can come up with. And, uh, yeah, sometimes like you come up with something and at the end of the day, it's like, you know what, this is really garbage. <laughs> I think I'm going to, you know, it's like, that's why, uh, you know, that's why a breadboard is not permanent because you just clear it all off and say, okay, I'll start again on a different day when, uh, you know, when my head's cleared. But, um, you know, I think it, it kind of, that's kind of the art aspect of, uh, of designing guitar, guitar circuits, guitar effects circuits is, um, you know, you kind of have to express what, what you think is good. And, um, uh, it's kind of like, um, and you know, if you're an artist, you really put your, your heart and soul into something, and then you put it out there for the world to see. And, a large percentage of the people who look at it might think that it is garbage, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, but that's okay. Just like you said, people have different tastes and, um, you know, what, what one person thinks is garbage is you know, another person's treasure. So yeah, I guess, uh, just kind of figuring out how you can, how you can put out what you think is good and reach the rest of the people who agree with you. And right. And still make money doing it, you know. That's the <laughs> that's the trick. That's that's always seems to be the the weird factor. Is like, will this support itself? And furthermore, will yeah, it support exactly. me? Uh, that's always yeah. the 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 mystery. Um, um, right. It's a it's kind of a it's it's a it's a strange it's a strange kind of industry to go in because there are very few like. And maybe they're just very silent and I don't know about them, but um, there are very few just kind of straight engineer types, like very numbers based right. um, guys that, that succeed in this industry. And it seems like it's probably because the numbers don't tell the full story uh, when you yeah. and especially when you're trying to speak to artistically inclined people like musicians Um it's like, no, on paper, this should sound the best. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't because right. it's too perfect or whatever the reason is. You know, it, it just seems like there is a, there is definitely a, a space for the straight kind of, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is, like the straight laced, very engineer type mindset. And it, it's valued, uh, especially because of right. the level of intelligence that takes to to kind of achieve that. But it, it always seems yeah. like the things that are a little bit not right are actually better for at least to guitar players like tube amps, like tube amps work yeah. because of the, like the reason that we love them is because of what they they do wrong, you know, from a design standpoint. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like and we that's, want the uh, color and the flavors like we we like the breakup like they weren't supposed to break right? up. We made them break up. We broke them. That's why it's called breakup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You know, and that's uh that's a you know, that's a really that's a really interesting point because uh you know, there are there are a lot of engineers that um you know, that that do a lot of stuff in the DIY world and um you know, I still I mean, I always keep one foot in in the DIY world because because of those guys, there are just invaluable resources, you know, like like I said, oh, yeah. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any formal training in electronic engineering or, uh, you know, any of this stuff. So, um, to be able to pick those kind of guys' brains is just an invaluable resource to me. But at the same time, you're probably, unless you're, you know, Robert Keeley, 
you're not going to go to school for electrical engineering and uh, end up, uh, you know, building electric guitar effects. Because like you said, we incorporate a lot of like uh, flaws <laughs> in our design. Right. And, uh, yeah. As an engineer, that's got to be just, uh, just, uh, that's got to just drive you crazy, <laughs> you know? Um, and also, you know, if you're an electrical engineer, you can be doing more important stuff, <laughs> you know, than, uh, <laughs> than making, making stomp boxes. Um, or at least more profitable most of the time. Right. Right. Not that there's, I mean, obviously I'm, 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 uh, very into making, uh, guitar stomp boxes and I think it's, it's a great, great trade. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of, uh, just all kinds of books, history, you know, fiction, everything. And, uh, I like to listen to a lot of audio books while I'm, while I'm working in the shop. And, um, I listened to a number of books a couple years ago about, um, kind of right before the industrial revolution, when, uh, all these inventors in the United States, especially were just coming up with all this crazy stuff and how frustrated the scientists of the times were because most of these guys had no formal training in any kind of science or math, you know, and they were doing kind of like I was describing, just like, uh, you know, go try something, see if it works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with, with no understanding of the theory of why it would work, you know, and, uh, so that, you know, inventors were really looked down on by the scientific community because they were basically just, uh, you know, just, uh, experimenting and uh, mm -hmm. without the without the scientific basis behind it and but that's how almost almost every um you know kind of world changing invention that came out of that time um you know right before the industrial revolution was just discovered by someone who was experimenting you know and so yeah it's like the numbers don't always tell the full story because sometimes you don't know what the numbers are yet you know, until somebody right. <laughs> does something that's never been done before. So yeah, it's kind are there of a, any, it's kind of a cool. Uh, oh, are there are there any like uh, specific examples that you can? I I've never heard of this before. This is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I think the one that that really came to mind the most was uh, the, was the telegraph, and like um, the wireless telegraph, and that was uh, I can't remember the guy's for this Marconi, um, and he mm -hmm. was just experimenting to try to send basically radio signals, you know, through the air. Um, and it was, uh, it was incredibly important because at the time a ship out at sea was, was totally, um, cut off from communication. You know, once they sailed, um, you know, obviously there weren't, uh, there weren't, there was no way to communicate with them out in the middle of the ocean. And so, right. uh, the invention of a wireless telegraph was, was really a world changing phenomenon and uh yeah marconi was just like totally experimenting um you know he just like try something and, and uh yeah i my mem my memory's not great um but i i remember uh one story where he was just like he could send um he could send a message but only kind of like line of sight you know it, it would get it would get lost over um you know hills and valleys and he okay. could send it a short distance. So uh, then he was just like, I think he sent one of his uh, one of his um, 
helpers or whatever. I think he sent them out to like climb a tree with their sending unit, whatever it is. I, I don't know anything about wireless telegraph, but the, they found they could send it farther, you know, if he was up higher. And so then, then they kind of started experimenting with antennas, you know, for sending and receiving. And, um, yeah, he just, you know, just like, well, what if we did this? <laughs> and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to fathom not knowing like, you know, concepts like that. Like that was new to the world. You know, the idea of an, an, an antenna, you know, because they didn't have radio signals. I mean, they had them, but they didn't know that they had them. Well, I mean, so, it's kind of a, I remember thinking about, this is, shows you how much of a weirdo I was. I remember thinking about this as a kid and like the radio is just the radio to us, you know, um, like it's right. just, it's, is what is. But I remember being like, nothing's like, nothing's connected to this thing. Like I remember right. looking at yeah. it as like a, as like a 10 year old, like, like, I'm like this is grabbing things out of the air. And right. sending yeah. them in sound form to my ears. I can't hear that these things without this device. I was like, right. I was fascinated by the concept of radio and like the fact that like when I asked my mom and dad about it, I'm like, what, where are these coming from? And they're like, oh, the radio station. Well, where's that? <laughs> right. Oh, it's, cl- you know, you know, it's yeah. however many hundred miles away. I'm like, or whatever, you know, I don't remember where it is, you know, probably. 10, sure. 15 miles away. And I'm just like, how is this? How is this all working? This doesn't make any sense. Like, I understand plugging into a wall, right? That, right. that, that concept I could, I could fathom. Like, yeah, you get the electricity out of the wall. Like these sounds are just generated from a place that we're not physically connected to. And then, yeah, yeah now here we are with Wi-Fi and beaming things. And now we're recording a podcast via n- no wires. It's just like, yeah, no wires. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's amazing. But yeah, that, you know, that those discoveries were made by people who didn't understand things either. You know, they're just, you know, they're just experimenting. They, they, they made observations, you know, like, hey, this is weird. Just like you did as a kid, you know, like, this is weird. Why does this work like this? You know, wh- why does this happen when I do this? And they just went mm-hmm. from there, you know, and they just kept, you know, altering things a little at a time and. But yeah, that, that was very frustrating, I guess, to the scientists at the time because they just felt like they were, uh, not, not going about things. You know, they were, they were starting with the, the practical application instead of starting with the theory, you know, and so it's like skipping a step, I guess. And, uh, yeah. Or, but, or, or was the, it like, was it one of those things where these kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, cowboys are coming along and, like kind of challenging what is it an established idea you know what i mean like yeah like was it was it really a a oh these guys like a disdain for these guys because they they don't they aren't educated like us or is it like no they are coming up with things that we don't think should be possible and we've decided they were impossible a long time ago and therefore they are like is was it some of that like a tribalism thing or what what do you think yeah, I think, I mean, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm just going by what I've read, you know, but, uh, yeah, it seemed like there was kind of both of those ideas where it's like, yeah, these, I mean, uh, another one that really, um, stands out to me is, uh, I think his name's Joseph Lister, um, who was the first person to really encourage 
um, antiseptic in surgery. And um, oh. yeah, it was exactly what you're talking about where, you know, at the time from what I've read is like doctors kind of, you know, they had their, uh, their surgical um, jacket, you know, that, and uh, it was like, they never cleaned it. Like literally like the more blood was caked on it. It was like, they were proud of it. Kind of like, kind of like we do with guitars, you know, like the more beat up they are, the, the, uh, the more uh, legit they seem. You know, and doctors right. were like that with with blood, you know, so they were going in, <laughs> you know, and just they wouldn't they wouldn't clean their instruments between, you know, between patients. And, you know, I mean, infection just, you know, killed myriads of people because they, they had no idea about, you know, microorganisms. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, along comes Joseph Lister and he's like, look, you've got to wash your hands, you know, and you've got to. uh you know, you got to clean your instruments. And at the time, if I remember correctly, they were using uh, uh, carbolic acid, I think it is, which I don't even know what that is. But, um, you know, it's it was an acid that was strong enough to kill things, but um, not strong enough to dissolve the, uh, you know, the tools themselves. Um, right. So, yeah. And, and so, uh, yeah, he was just a laughingstock amongst doctors. Um, for that very reason, like you were describing, it's like, no, this is how, this is how things work. And what you're talking about is ridiculous. You know, there's no such thing as, you know, uh, it's microorganisms. I can't remember what they called them at the time. Maybe just germs. I can't remember what, what the word was they used, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, so he was kind of a laughing stock amongst his, uh, his colleagues, but, uh, you know, nowadays we have Listerine <laughs> named after him. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, is that where that yeah, came from I think for real? I guess it is. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, antiseptic wow. mouthwash. Yeah. I don't know if he, I don't know if that was a product he invented or if that's just a tribute to him. Um, but yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, I could be wrong on that, but <laughs> this is why I love, this is yeah. why I love doing this show. I get to talk to people and I really clearly like talking to people, but it's like, uh -huh. Wow. I never, I would have, I just, I assumed it was based on some guy's name. I didn't know it was the father of, uh, how about we clean ourselves when we cut things open? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy to think that wasn't that long ago. You know, that was like kind of turn of the century, I think, kind of industrial revolution time. Um, I think, I can't remember exactly when he lived, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it, you know, it's crazy to think it hasn't been that long that we've actually known about sterilizing stuff and, in, you know, how to stop infection. That is so, that is fascinating because now it's just common, right? It's just like, right. Every, yeah. Everyone, like the lowest, like almost the lowest educated person probably knows about that. Like everyone knows you're not supposed to get other things blood on your open wounds. You know, <laughs> like that's just. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like common, common I mean, knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the the, the uh, knowledge uh, base of man has increased exponentially, you know. Well, I'm sure it's increasing exponentially like every few years now, I guess. But, um, yeah, you can look back not that far and see just crazy um, ignorance, you know. And I don't say that as a, you know, a derogatory term, just they just didn't know. 
And um, no, it's just the the same thing that, uh, Oh, sorry. I mean, it was just, it's the same thing that we're going to experience that. Like, and I mean, I do it now. Like, I think, look at myself 10 years ago. I'm like, that guy was an idiot. Like I didn't know, (laughs) I didn't know what I was talking about. I thought I did. I thought I would, was, you know, on the up and up. And I was like, no, it's kind of dumb. And now I know that the same thing is going to happen like 10 years from now. I'm like, wow, you're kind of dumb. Like, it's just yeah. you, you, you just in your own lifetime, you kind of learn things and, and just think about like, uh, humans as a collective, as a whole, just like how much more we learn just, just from, you know, trying to exist as a society. Right. We, we learn a lot and we, we, yeah. it's, it's, it's fascinating concept to think about. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, you know, I, uh, kind of uh, along those lines, I think, uh, you know, like that, the Orchrist, um, the Orchrist pedal, that was the first, that was the first pedal that I ever did, uh, a PCB design for a printed circuit board. Um, mm-hmm. you know, everything up until then I had always built on perf board. And like I said, I, you know, I was really just borrowing, um, you know, circuit ideas from, uh, from kind of the DIY, uh, mentors out there. Um, Jack Orman, RG Keen, um, you know, some of those guys run off groove, um, all these websites out there that are really just educational and, um, guys that are electrical engineers, um, you know, who just, uh, who like to tinker with stuff and, uh, you know, in the kind of the effects world and they just put out information out there for free, you know, their time, um, all for free and, uh, just to help educate people. And, um, so that's what I was using. And then, uh, you know, I was just studying everything they put out and, and then I decided, well, I'm going to, I'm going to design a PCB for this instead of just building on perf board and stuff. And, um, cause you know, I want to be able to kind of ramp up production on this. So mm-hmm. I, I bought some PCB design software and I, uh, you know, I took a stab at it at first and I, I'd go to the DIY groups and post a picture of my circuit board and be like, is, uh, like, is there any like major errors on this or like, you know, I was like, you don't have to like look at the circuit. I'm just like, did I do anything like really stupid? People would be like, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, is this your first time? And I'm like, yeah, actually it is. Um, so, you know, I, I learned a lot just from feedback from people. And I, you know, I got it to where I was like, um, you know, I, I, I you know, probably the first revel or uh, the first edition of the Orcus PCB design was probably, you know, it was probably like a, 10 inch by 10 inch circuit board um, just because I didn't know how to space things together and route traces and everything. And so I got it down to, you know, it's, it's, it's usable form um, eventually with a lot of help and feedback from other people. And um, yeah, I got the, got the PCBs, um, you know, manufactured for me. I go to start building them and it's just like, holy cow, this thing takes forever to solder. I just like, well, I guess that's just how it is, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, over the years, I'm just like, uh, you know, a couple years, I guess, since it's only been a couple years since I designed that first PCB that, uh, you know, I go to build one now cause I bought a bunch of them. Um, just thinking that, you know, oh, this is the greatest PCB ever. <laughs> and uh, I bought a bunch of them and, uh, you know, you get a, a really good, uh, discount when you get over certain numbers and it just keeps getting better the more you buy. So. Yeah, I bought a big lot of them, and uh, yeah, now every time I go to build one, I'm just like, 
I was such an idiot when I designed this PCB. <laughs> like, I took no thought for, you know, I, like I designed it like well as far as signal flow goes. All the traces between everything are very short and everything's nice and compact. But, you know, I just, I designed it on, based on physical space and, and circuit flow. And I didn't take into account at all, uh, manufacturing the, of the circuit itself. Right. <laughs> So everything, you know, you put all the components in and flip it over to solder and like, it's just a nightmare to solder. It, it takes forever. So that was a good You're learning like, how experience. How am I going to get that, my iron into that corner? Like, how right. am I going to do that? It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, take out half the components, <laughs> no, solder these and then solder those. Yeah. Just didn't line things up properly. And then, yeah. And so. Yeah, you know, you just don't know what you don't know when you're when you're uh when you're starting and even now, you know, like you said, yeah. Two years from now I'll look back at the circuit board I designed last week and be like, Wow, that was that was kinda stupid the way I did that right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess you just keep learning, right? Of course. Of course. I mean you get you get to these these weird points where like some people have been doing it so long and they're so um, I don't know if it's a, if it's an intelligence thing or it's a, just a people are wired different ways type of thing. It's like I've told uh one guy in the industry in particular. Um, I was like, you realize like just like the processes you've developed for your company, you could like go to major manufacturing operations and probably charge them a hefty fee to integrate some of these same concepts. Cause like it's his, his operation so streamlined and he's like, yeah, wow. maybe, <laughs> you know, just uh -huh. like, yeah, you know, if this whole pedal thing doesn't shake out, maybe, maybe we'll look at that. Right. Cause I was just like blown right. away. Cause I've, I've been involved in, um, you know, some level of manufacturing on in different industries. And I was just like, I've never yep. heard of anybody think about, measuring how many steps it takes to go from point A to point B. I know there are like process engineers that do that, but like it's right. not still not a normal thing, you know? Um, uh -huh. So it's just kind yeah. of, it's, it's, this is the, like one of the best things about doing the podcast is getting to talk to like this wide spectrum of people and get their concepts on how they do it. And, and, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's been a really huge benefit. And like, like you say, keep learning by doing, I guess I would never, I would never know. I would never even hardly know how to work a soldering iron. If I hadn't like talked to guys right. like you. <laughs> like, yeah. And you kinda, know, you just, yeah, it's kind of, I'm, I'm really big on you know, that kind of learning by doing because, uh, you know, I, I, uh, as a young person, um, I, I didn't realize it when I was young, but I just, I really struggled to learn how to do anything. I was fine with books, you know, and, and in school mm -hmm. I did fine when it's just, you know, like book learning. But then when it come time to learn how to actually do a physical job, um, you know, if somebody would show me how to do it and just go through all the steps, you know, and watching them do it, man, I would mess it up for a long time. <laughs> and when I started doing it until, you know, I had done it long enough to learn it by actually doing it and realizing, oh, this is why I keep messing this up because this is what happens when I do this wrong. And, um, yeah, I just, so, um, that's become really 
kind of an important thing to me when I'm teaching somebody else to do something is, uh, you know, make sure they're doing it with you or, you know, show them how to do something then have them do it. And I do the same thing when I'm trying to learn from somebody else. It's like, all right, let me try that. You know, don't, don't tell me anything else until I try this, this part of it. Cause, uh, I don't know. My brain is, is, is built in such a way that, uh, I can't store a whole process in there step by step until I've learned each step one at a time. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm very, very similar that way. And, and, uh, it's something I've been thinking about. Like, I think I've, I know I've talked about it on a couple episodes, but like I'm training my replacement at my day job right now. And so it's like, uh-huh. I'm trying to be cognizant of that. Like I've, I've, I've never trained anybody before in that way. And he's a, sh- okay. he's a sharp dude and like, he's going to be fine. But like, I just realized like I just started information dumping and that was a horrible right. idea. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, I'm like, let me, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I realize what that just did to your brain. Forget everything I just said. Here's step one. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really complicated teaching someone how to do something because you have to, you know, you kind of have to have the big picture in mind before you'll understand how the steps fit into it. So you like, you kind of need an overview of, you know, what's the goal here and, you know, what's, what's the big picture, but you also, yeah, you need to go step by step. And just, okay, let's learn this step before we, you know, get too in-depth on the big picture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ed, uh, we're, we're getting down to that hour mark. I know, I already know that you and I can talk for substantially longer than that with no issues whatsoever. Um, right. But, you know, <laughs> there's more podcasts for people yeah. to listen out there and... Uh, but maybe we yeah. do a, maybe we do a part two where we, uh, you know, just, t- uh, we spend a good ch- chunk of time t- talking about guitar stuff. And then the rest, we just kind of, you know, talked about ideas and philosophy and whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Um, right. It's okay. Right. Do you want to um, talk any, uh, any, you uh, talking about, uh, our upcoming project here? We have an upcoming project? Yeah. Oh. Oh, we do? <laughs> yeah. No, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. Ed. Okay. That's, that's, we got to right. keep that under wraps. And they should probably, if they like really want to know about it, they should like, I don't know, join some Tone Mob Guys newsletter. And then maybe they can yeah, find that... out about it before everybody else does. Maybe. Oh, yes. Okay. Was that a, a jerk move then. that I just did? I don't I know. I think that was a jerk you move. Know? A little bit. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that's your brand. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, if that was a jerk move, I just want to say right now, that was totally tone mob. Um, wrought iron leather and effects has nothing to do with that jerk move. <laughs> Tonemob.com podcast just performed. No. Um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe that's the best way to do it. But everybody, I think that's the best way to do it. Let me just say, okay. uh, it's pretty exciting. And 60 cycle hums involved. Ed's obviously involved. There's a whole backstory. Mm, we'll tell you later. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for it. So I'm so jazzed. I can't even tell you. I was trying not to bring it up because it, uh, it's sitting on top of my piano right now. And I've been staring at it this whole time. 
So uh, it's been hard for me to. I was like, oh, we should talk about a thing, but we're not going to. Uh-huh. We're not going to. Okay, that's just the way. Right. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. What we are going to talk about is, um, what what is your favorite pizza? Ah, that's a good question. You know, um, I kind of, um, I, I, I guess I approach it in this way. Like, it's easier for me to say what's not my favorite pizza. Okay. And, uh, I, I like about, I like, well, I shouldn't say I like about everything. I have very specific tastes. So, like, I hate certain things on pizza. And okay. black olives, I hate on pizza. Don't ever put black olives on a pizza. If uh, if I'm gonna eat it, hmm. I hate black olives. Hmm. I hate spinach on pizza. Spinach hmm. does not belong on pizza. I'll go on the record right now, and if anybody wants to fight me on that, I'll be happy to. to uh, you just drop me a message on Facebook. I'll meet you anytime, anywhere. <laughs> you want to put spinach on pizza? <laughs> um, but okay. yeah, all like, right, uh, all right. Well, yeah. that's a, that's how I feel about pineapple. But you know, yeah, uh, you know, I'm kind of that way. With the pineapple, with the Hawaiian pizza, but it's more to me, it's the ham. If you're going to put pineapple on a pizza, like, all right, whatever. But, like, put something spicy on there with it, you know, to kind of counteract that uh, mm. that overpowering sweetness of pineapple. Like, you need some, like, spicy sausage on there with it or something like that. Don't put, don't put ham on pizza. Come on, people. That's I mean, lunch. I mean, I like, I, like, I mean, I like ham. You like ham? Uh, it's all right, but not with pineapple. Uh, all right. Just, um, no, fair. Tough but fair. Tough but yeah. fair. Yeah. And then my one final my one final thing that you're never to put on pizza is white sauce. That I don't care what it's made out of, fettuccine, uh or that Alfredo sauce. I guess it's not fettuccine, that's pasta, right? Um mm-hmm. Alfredo sauce, that kind ah, that no, that's a no for me. That's a hard no. It's gotta have tomato I, sauce. See now, I I, I got I know that's, I got, I know I that's have, controversial. I, I have things to say about all of your items. A black olives. <laughs> okay, it, bring them bring them on. Bring, bring, get, get me, yeah. hit me with them black olives. I I I love the black olives. In certain, I'm gonna start a. I'm gonna start a. I'm gonna start a a gallon freezer bag of every time I get a pizza with black olives on it. I'm gonna put them in that bag and ship them to you. Every six months or so. <laughs> well, that sounds that sounds good. I mean, as long as they stay good. Yeah. I mean, I think the olives are preserved yeah. in their fermented state, so I'm down. So black right. olives. I'm, I'm down with you. black olives. Uh, All right. Spinach. I've had it on pizza. It's not necessarily something I would choose to put on pizza. Definitely not if I'm, yeah. I like spinach. I'm a big spinach fan as far as just eating it in salads and whatnot. But. Like yeah, I'll, forget I'll eat spinach, forget iceberg but... lettuce. I don't need that in my life. I'll eat the spinach. Hook me up. Right. Uh, sure. Um, on the pizza, eh? I could see how it would be yeah, somewhat appealing in some ways, but I don't need it. I don't. I don't need it at all. Uh, it can never happen, and I'd be okay with it. But here's where here's where I think you and I might have a little bit of a another disagreement. Uh, um, I had a pizza in Brooklyn. It was very very simple. Very delicious, and and it had a had arugula on it, which oh whoa 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 yeah whoa, yeah I was like I uh, yeah yeah it had arugula on it and I was like I don't know about this when I got it I was like looking at it going hmm, uh-huh. this is suspect <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like, let's, all right, you know, I like to, I like to try things. Uh, and it was fantastic. The arugula actually counteracted some of like the, like super savoriness of the pizza. And it ended up being okay. like this really weird mixture of like, I was, I was skeptical. I was very skeptical. Uh. And it ended up let me, being let me ask you this. quite good. Let, let me turn the tables on you for a second here and ask you, who ordered the arugula pizza? Well, like, who chose to be that fair, as a topping? To be fair, it was it was recommended to us. Um, okay, by the All by right. the staff, and I was like, "Are you sure about this?" It wasn't just arugula. <laughs> I can't remember everything that was on it. It was like lots of meat and stuff. Sure, but uh, yeah. but I was like. I was like, oh, this guy, I mean, it's got arugula on it here, dude. And he's like, hey, uh-huh. it'll be good. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. If it isn't good, I'm going to hold you accountable. Type, type right. personally yeah. respond. I'm not paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're paying for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was really good. Like, I was, I was shocked. Like, it's, I mean, it had arugula all over it. I was just like, okay, here we wow. go. And Damn. I bit into it and it just, it balanced. The bitterness of the arugula balanced just just right with everything else. So, um, mm, man. Now white sauce. I, I'm gonna have to take. No, yeah, white sauce. What's your opinion on that? I ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I prefer a red sauce pizza. Okay. But once in a while, just very 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 seldom. But once in a while, a garlicky white sauce is just what I gotta have. It's uh, uh, I can't explain it. It's not what I would normally choose. Um, you know, you know, life's too short for that, Blake. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't <laughs> eat the pizza you want to eat. No, that's what I say. If you're going to eat well, pizza, you know, if you're going to eat pizza, you're not, you're not like, okay, number one, I'm not going to get white sauce on it because I hate white sauce. But number two, I'm not going to get some like spinach or arugula or something that, uh, you know, to, to like try to make it look like it's a healthy food. Like, I know it's not a healthy food. It's a pizza. You know, cover the thing in meat and cheese, throw some peppers on there, some mushrooms, maybe. You know, I'm good to go. Let's oh, uh, hook me up with all that mushrooms. Give me them sweet, sweet mushrooms. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mushrooms and That's peppers. a controversial That's... topping. Like, people. Peppers? Pe- I don't, I've never met anyone that was just lukewarm on mushrooms. Like most, like yeah, a mushroom right, lover, right. like myself, loves mushroom. I love mushrooms, mushroom anything, just about. Uh-huh. Uh But some people just, they really don't like it. It's not their. It's yeah. they're like it's like it's like me and pineapple. I don't want pineapple on my pizza. I don't want it on my pizza, let alone in my life. I don't want pineapple anywhere. <laughs> oh, you don't want pineapple anywhere, huh? You're a pineapple no. hater. No, okay. I don't want it. It's too sweet. What's this for kids? Okay. Like. Like, are we, are we all children now? We need sweet things. What's the next? We're going to be drinking juicy juice? Like, come on. Yeah. Let's get out of the yummy Throw phase, people. We're, we're adults pizza, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, that's funny. No, I, I, it, 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 I'm, a, I'm a weirdo. I, I, like, I like some sweet things, but, like, I'll, if you got to you make me choose between, like, a steak or, or like, like say here, here, Mister Wyland, here's a, d- a delicious steak. Mm, that was good. What would you like for dessert? I'm like I would like another one of those, please. <laughs> another steak, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, but we have this amazing <laughs> cheesecake. Yeah, don't care. I'd rather have the. Uh, give me, bring me one of those. <laughs> give me another steak. Um, oh, that's interesting. 
No, yeah. I can't. I mean, uh, I not that I hate that. the cheesecake, but that's just I don't know. I'm really? I like savory over sweet most of the time. Okay, yeah. I'm kind of uh, I I, I go I go either way. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of a good cheesecake. Just don't go ruining it with putting fruit on it. You know, just give me a good solid vanilla cheesecake or uh, yeah, a you know, peanut butter cheesecake. Oh no, no, you see. That that right there, that's pretty much the ultimate for me. Peanut oh, butter cheesecake. Peanut butter cheesecake is is good. It's good. Oh man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh my mother in law uh, was staying with us this past winter and uh, for my birthday she's like, uh, I'm gonna make you a cake. What do you want? I was just like I was just joking, you know, I was like, I want a homemade peanut butter cheesecake <laughs> and uh I come home and She's got one whipped up. I was like, whoa. You know, it was like two inches thick. And it was like, there whoa. you go. It was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Put a little bacon so. on that. Be perfect. Oh, no. I don't know if I do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought bacon you know, went on everything. No? I'm not a big bacon fan. Um, I know Hold that's the phone. Gonna... That's the most controversial thing you've said all night. What's going on here? I not know. A bacon you, fan. You, you might want to edit that out. I'm going to like, I'm going to lose a bunch of followers on Facebook and uh, probably have people calling to return pedals. But yeah, I, uh, Boy, I, yeah, I, I told you I like this or Chris, but I got to send it back. Yeah, right. I, can't. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. There's certain things that this like, uh, like I don't, I don't like the combination of like sweet things with meat so much. Like, I think that's why I don't like the pineapple and the pizza so much. Uh, and like, yeah, putting bacon on like, see people with like putting bacon on donuts and yeah, uh, it just it just doesn't work for me. And and the it's other the only thing, way like, to eat a donut is <laughs> with bacon. <laughs> yeah, uh, the other thing that bothers me about it is it's it's meat but it's crunchy, and I don't know. That's just that doesn't go together for me. Well, I'm I'm, I'm a little bit weird with my bacon. Like if it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll eat it in basically any state. Like it any uh-huh. any uh, any level of cookness. Uh, okay, that's a word. But I kind of right. like yeah. a, I like I like a limp bacon. You know, yeah. I like it cooked, <laughs> cooked, but I want it floppy. You know, uh, same way right. I like my eggs runny. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird deal. Okay, I'm yeah, not going to no, try to justify it. I know it's strange. It's it's a strange thing that I just like. Okay, I'm willing to accept it. I'm I'm with you on the on the floppy bacon train. If I'm gonna eat bacon, it yeah, I don't want it to be crunchy and crispy and all that. Yeah, I like it uh, just barely cooked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we're back together again. We're... Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's good. <laughs> Unity now. Our minds have become <laughs> one yet again. All right. Good. <laughs> right. Well, let me uh, yeah. let me wrap this thing up before because I'm I actually haven't ate dinner yet, and this is this last you know seven minutes of conversation has really uh, pushed me over the top. Um, okay, but yeah. where can I'll people find you and all your wonderful goods and services and bacon related products? Bacon related products, yeah. You can find me at uh, wroughtironeffects.com. Um, also do some uh I do a lot of custom guitar straps through uh etsy.com um, so you can look us up broad iron leather on etsy.com and uh yeah just uh check us out on our facebook page and uh instagram i don't think i i've got a twitter account but i probably haven't posted anything on it in two years or so so uh, 
yeah, but hit us up at wroughtironeffects.com. And, uh, yeah, that's probably the best, best place to get me. All right. Sounds like a good plan. We'll plug that all in the show notes and, uh, send people your way. But, um, all right. thanks for coming on the show, Ed. It was a delight to talk to you in a recorded format. I know we've done it many times off mic, but nice to finally get this, get this thing in the can. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Blake. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You better go. You better go get some dinner now. All right, it's sandwich time. Uh, for right. Ed, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed another episode of the Tone Mob podcast. I mean, I don't know what to say. The fact that you guys are still tuning in after all this time, and uh, you know, hanging out in the community, it it means the world. So that uh, I. Sometimes I just get a little bit emotional and I have to, uh, I gotta express it. Thank you, thank you very much for tuning in and making kind of all of this, uh, all of this craziness possible. So if you need anything, info at tonemob.com is a good place to go. Um, you can follow the Tone Mob on all the social medias as you know, but never be afraid to reach out. I'm always, uh, always interested to talk to listeners and hear their thoughts and, Hopefully I can answer any questions you got. Whatever. You guys are supporting me. I want to support you guys just as much. So thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget to check out Ed's wonderful effects and leather goods. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.